Well, may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. If you have a Bible handy, I encourage you to open to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. Our sermon text will be John 21, 15 to 25 this evening. I want to remind you of where we are in the story of John's Gospel. Is after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, we saw that the Apostle Peter had a faith crisis. Even though Jesus had called him to leave his career as a fisherman, Peter decided to return to his boats and nets, and some of the disciples followed him. And one morning, after a long night of fishing, Peter and his crew saw Jesus standing on the shore of the lake, And Jesus called the disciples to come and eat fish and eat bread that he had prepared for them on a charcoal fire. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus and Peter went for a walk. And it's just the two of them. And that's important because in the last episode of John's Gospel, I suggested that Peter was was stuck in limbo between worlds. From the night he denied Jesus three times until now, he had not been able to speak with Jesus one-on-one, at least as far as we can tell in reading the story. He had not been able to patch things up with Jesus and make amends and work things out. But now, finally, on the beach, he has a chance to confess his sins, to seek forgiveness, and to make peace with God, with Jesus Christ. But as we're going to see in this story, he gets far more than he bargained for. If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word from John 21. The word of God reads, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands And another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, the one who had been reclining at table close to him, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. 
So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of his word. And all the church says, may be seated. In my very first preaching ministry, at the ripe old age of 24 years old, I moved to a small town in eastern Oklahoma. When I arrived, the local paper ran a story, headline news, Church of Christ gets new pastor. Shannon and I were pictured there along with Kennedy. I think we were wearing denim. <laughs> For the next several weeks, the elders and the deacons and the members of that church approached me at various times apologizing because the local paper had referred to me as a pastor. And I was reminded, repeatedly reminded, you are not a pastor. You know that, right? We didn't run that ad. They did that on their own. I ran into one of the people who worked at the newspaper in the local post office and they actually apologized because people from our church had gone to tell them the Church of Christ does not have pastors. And so they apologized for referring to me as a pastor. I didn't care one way or the other. I was just happy to have a place to work and get started. It wasn't long into that ministry when I realized that even though I was not a pastor, I had all of these pastoral duties. I was constantly getting reprimanded for not visiting the sick and the widow, for not going to the nursing home, for neglecting my duties to do home visits as pastors should do. I was too young and too nervous to ask the elders why I was not a pastor, and yet they gave me all those pastoral duties. But I wrestled with it on the inside. You're not a pastor. We read in the scripture, we read in the story, in this story in particular, Jesus has taken a man who has wrecked his life in some ways. He has damaged his relationship with Jesus. He is at a crossroads, not sure what to do. He wants to be a fisherman, yet he's been called to be a shepherd, and he's not sure that he wants to be a shepherd. He's running away from his calling, and yet Jesus calls him back on this beach. There are three things, three truths that I want you to see from this story that I think will help you understand not only Peter's life and ministry, but the life and ministry of the pastors and shepherds that you have known, the elders that you have known through the years. These are truths that are relevant to all of us. The first thing we will see is the shepherd's calling. 
Then we will see the shepherd's cross. Then we will see the shepherd's charge. And to be fair and to be honest, I will tell you that I'm going to slip in a fourth thing at the very end that does not appear in this text, and so I can't rightly say that it's from this text, so I'll sneak another one in later on. I want you to think about what's happening in this story. The men have just finished breakfast, and it's a men's breakfast, not like the kind of men's breakfast that we have, very similar to that, but quite different because Jesus is there and he has some things to say to his disciples. There's not a Monday that goes by that I don't wish that I could show up on a beach somewhere and have breakfast with Jesus on a beach to be reminded of my calling, to be reminded of what he wants me to do. So Peter has a great privilege here, only he doesn't know it yet. Notice in this story, the first thing Jesus says, this is about the shepherd's calling. Jesus asked Simon Peter a question. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Off and on through the years, I've wondered what that meant. Do you love me more than these? Did Jesus mean, do you love me more than these disciples, the rest of these guys. And for a while I believed that because he had made these grandiose statements about how much he loved Jesus and would lay down his life for Jesus. And it appears that of all the guys he, of all the remaining guys, he is the one who failed and they continued to love Jesus. And that seemed plausible. But I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. I think what Jesus has in mind is something a little bit more personal to Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these fishes? What are you doing back in the boat with your nets? What are you doing on this beach? Do you love me more than these fishes? And Simon says, yes, you know that I love you. And then Jesus calls him away from fish to sheep. Feed my lambs. Now there's something happening in this story that unfortunately we can't see in English. And so you'll have to trust me on this. If we were in, reading in Spanish, we could see it just fine. But there are actually two different words used for love here. Some commentators want to downplay it as if it's not important, but I'm going to upplay it because I think it's very important. Jesus says, do you love me? And he uses the Greek word agape, which many of you think of as unconditional love. And Peter answers, yes, I love you. But he uses the word phileo, brotherly love, like Philadelphia, brotherly love. Jesus says, do you love me, agape? Yes, I love you, phileo. It's not the question he was asked, but it's the answer he gave. Jesus asked him a second time, same thing. Do you love me, agape? Yes, I love you, phileo. The third time Jesus says, do you love me, phileo? And then Peter is grieved. He feels pain in his heart. It, it pains him. He feels ache because Jesus has now asked him the very thing that he's been answering. Do you love me, phileo? Do you love me like a brother? And Peter is upset and he says, You know everything. You know I love you like a brother. 
And Jesus tells him again, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. In other words, Jesus asks him three times whether Peter loves him in some way. And Peter says yes each time. Notice that Jesus accepts Peter's answer, even though it's not on par with what Jesus is asking. Jesus is receiving Peter right where he is. And this is the way he loves us. He doesn't always take us or only take us where we should have been. He takes us where we are and then he leads us where we must be. Do you love me without conditions, restraints, limitations? And Peter answers honestly, not yet. I love you with this other kind of love. And Jesus seems to say, that's good enough. I'll take that. Let's go from there. And so he begins to work with Peter and gives him this commission, this calling to shepherd the flock of God, the, the people of Jesus Christ. Now you know as well as I do that Jesus did not need to hear Peter's answer to these questions. In, earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus knew whether people loved God or not based on how they thought and acted. And he would say to people, you do not have the love of God in you. That's why you do these things. So he's not really asking Peter these questions so that he can get information from Peter. He wants Peter to be informed. He wants Peter to be revealed and exposed. He wants Peter to come to grips with his own life, calling, and mission. The reason Jesus asked Peter three times the same kind of question is because... Peter denied him three times. And don't think for a moment that that was not lost on Peter. A man who had denied Jesus three times with passion, even calling curses down on himself, and to be on a beach trying to reconcile with Jesus and to have Jesus ask three times, Do you love me? That must have done quite a work on Peter's heart and conscience. What is Jesus doing? He is responding to Peter's three denials, echoing those three denials by asking, do you love me? And then, and in fact, reversing those denials because these questions are drawing Peter into relationship with Jesus. He denied even knowing the man, and now he claims to love the man. And the fact is established by what? Two or three witnesses. Peter gives three witnesses about himself. Yes, I love you like a brother. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. So what you see in the story is that Jesus has remained devoted to Peter even though Peter at one time denied him. And even though Peter had rejected Jesus, Jesus is still receiving Peter. Now, when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? I want you to, I know you know this, but I feel compelled to say this anyway. You know as well as I do that Jesus is not asking Peter, do you have warm, fuzzy feelings about me? Do you feel good when you're around me? That's not what Jesus was asking. He's actually asking something much deeper and harder than that. He's asking him, in essence, do you keep my commandments? 
Will you abide in my word? Will you do what I've called you to do? That's what he means by, do you love me? Same thing he would mean if he were speaking to us tonight. Do you love Jesus? And if your answer is, well, yes, I feel mushy inside and warm when I think about Jesus, that's not the answer. The answer is, will you keep his word? Yes, I obey him. Oh, now we know you love him. The reason I say that is because in the upper room discourse, the night before Jesus was crucified, remember how he said to his disciples repeatedly, here's a new command that I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And if you love one another as I have loved you, the world will know that you are my disciples. And then he goes on to say, abide in my love. And by that he means, keep my word. Everyone who keeps my word abides in me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Those are things Jesus says through the upper room discourse. So when Peter hears the question, do you love me? He knows Jesus is not asking, do you feel good about me? He knows Jesus is asking, will you do what I've commanded you to do? Will you do what I'm about to command you to do? That will be the test of love. Not the way you feel about Jesus, but what you know and do concerning Jesus. So, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Here's a command. Feed my flock. Tend my sheep. Take care of my lambs. How will the world know? How will the other disciples know? How will Peter know that he loves Jesus? He will know that when he sees obedience in his life to the commands of Jesus. Same for you, same for me. We know that we love Jesus by keeping his commandments, by doing his word, by following his teaching. We don't often link obedience and love together, but we should because the Scriptures do that repeatedly. Jesus said to His disciples, If you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love, just as I have kept My Father's commandments, and I abide in His love. And the commandment is this, that you love one another. All of those statements Jesus made, by the way, about tend my flock and feed my sheep and take care of my lambs, all of that pastoral language can be summarized in this one thing. Love my people. What we learn in this story is that a pastor's or a shepherd's first calling is not to a professional ministry. His first calling is to love Jesus. His first calling is to a relationship with Jesus. To love Jesus by obeying His Word. And when a pastor, when a shepherd loves Jesus by obeying His words, that will lead him to love the flock of God under His care. I think the reason Peter said, I love you, phileo, instead of I love you, agape, is because this shows some degree of spiritual growth in his life. He is answering with a kind of humility. No more proud boasts and no more claims that he's not able to keep, but a meek and humble confession. That's where he is now. And Jesus takes Peter right where he is, not where he should have been, and then he leads him to where he needs to be. He does the same thing for you and the same thing for me.
Now, in relation to this call, I want you to hear something. Those, uh, we have uh, been a part of the PCA for one year, but it's important for you to hear some of the language and things that we use periodically. When a man is ordained to gospel ministry, he is called upon to answer certain questions to make vows. And in relation to this shepherd's calling, I want you to hear a question that he must answer in the affirmative. This is from our book of church order. Have you been induced, as far as you know your own heart, to seek the office of the holy ministry from love to God and a sincere desire to promote His glory in the gospel of His Son? But did you catch that phrase? to seek the office of the holy ministry from love to God. You hear how it echoes the language of Jesus. Do you love me? If you don't love Christ, you won't love the church. If you don't love God, what in the world is anyone doing in gospel ministry? So it must begin with love. Pastor's first call, shepherd's first call, is to love Jesus Christ and then love His people. Now that leads us to the shepherd's cross, which is also a part of this story. The word cross is not used, but the imagery is there. Jesus is speaking to Peter and He says, when you were young, things were one way. When you're old, things are going to be quite different. So when you were young, you were like a lot of young people. You bounced here and there. You did what you wanted. You didn't really think about the consequences. You lived your life. But those days are over. And you're now going to live your life in light of the cross. And what Jesus has done for Peter is... He has laid out for him the scope of his life... He has indicated to him how long he will live when you are old and how he will die. You will die by crucifixion. So Peter knows that from this day on the beach going forward until he has gone over the hill and made it through his midlife crisis and all of those things, he knows that nothing will take his life. He can live with a sense of courage and boldness knowing that until he is an old man, he will not stretch out his hands. He will not be taken where he does not want to go. He might suffer. Things might be difficult. He will face many hardships and trials. But he knows from this day forward that Jesus has told him the end of his life story. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and other people will dress you. In the Old Testament, the notion of stretching out your hands signifies a variety of things. It can signify an act of prayer or an act of judgment or an act of deliverance or an act of healing. But John makes it very clear in this story that here, stretching out your hands signifies the kind of death by which Peter was going to glorify God. And we know from the tradition of church history that Peter did in fact glorify God by dying on a cross. In his old age, he was still as stubborn as always, still as Peter as always, and apparently he refused to be executed, to be martyred in the same way as his Lord and Savior. He requested to be crucified upside down, and the story is that that request was granted. 
and an old man was crucified in his old age. I am sad to report to you something you probably know and maybe you are afraid to even talk about out loud except with certain people. But I am sad to report to you that many modern pastors treat the ministry of the gospel as a profession and not as a vocation. They treat it as a career and not a calling. And what that means is this. Here's how it shapes. Here's how it plays out. When they get bored in ministry, or when the church does not support their vision, or when times get rough, they often feel that God has called them to, imagine this, bigger and better things. I can count on one hand the number of pastors I know who have been called to smaller and worse things who were honest enough to say, I think God is calling me to take a demotion. So I don't know which God calls them to these bigger and better things, but it might not be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter was not called to bigger and better things. Jesus was quite honest with him. He was called to a cross. He was called to love Jesus, and he was called to live a cross-shaped life. And from this moment on, as he leaves the beach, he will live and move and serve with the knowledge that when he is an old man, he will in fact die the death of a criminal on a cross. In one of my favorite movies, Stranger Than Fiction, I encourage you to watch that if you have a chance. We learn about a man who is caught in a story and he's surprised by the events unfolding around him. And someone in the story says, if the man does know that he's going to die and dies anyway, dies willingly, knowing he could stop it, isn't that the type of man you want to keep alive? And yet Peter will follow in the steps of the Lord Jesus Christ, someone else who knew he was going to die and died anyway. Peter will live his life knowing that he will die upon a cross and he will live and die with that knowledge anyway. He's reminded here that he was called to be a shepherd and he will shepherd God's flock from now until the day he lays down his life as a martyr on the cross. There will be no more fishing, no more nets, no more time on the beach. His life will be spent taking a rod and the staff of the cross to the people of God. In our book of church order, one of the vows given to pastors is this. Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in maintaining the truths of the gospel and the purity and the peace and the unity of the church? Whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account. And I imagine many people would be happy to give the affirmative yes to the first part of that question. But when the last part of that question rolls out, you get a lump in your throat. 
And you remember that God is listening as you make your vows. And God's people are listening as you make your vows. Whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account. Will you live the cross-shaped life? And that brings us to the shepherd's charge. Notice the charge here is very simple. After Jesus said these things to him, they've walked far enough on the beach. Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Now Peter does what a lot of us like to do when we feel ourselves kind of backed into a corner and we get defensive. We want a way out. We need some release. He looks around and he sees someone else and he's like, what about that guy? John's trailing behind us. Is he next? This is the way we do things. We redirect. We're concerned about other people. Is he going to have a cross as well? Are we in this together? Am I the only one? Are you out to get me? Why do I have to suffer like this? I don't want a cross. I don't want to have to do this. Why me? What about him? And Jesus says to Peter something that we all need to learn is you need to mind your own business. You need to stop worrying about what God is doing or planning to do with other people and you need to worry about what He's called you to do. And He has called you to follow Jesus. Don't worry about what that pastor is doing or that church is doing or that family is doing. You follow Jesus. It's interesting that Jesus was so pointed with Peter on this point because if you go back into John's Gospel, I want to remind you of things you've heard, but you might have forgotten. It's been a while. We spent a long time in John. But Jesus at one point had said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So Peter's been called to be a shepherd, and yet he must also be a sheep as he follows the true and better shepherd. Jesus said, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. So this is not a new concept. And Peter knows it because the night Jesus was betrayed and denied while they were in the upper room, Peter made this grandiose statement about himself. Jesus had said, you guys cannot follow me where I'm going. Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow afterward. Peter doesn't want to wait. He says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And the next thing you read about Peter is that he followed Jesus from a distance into a courtyard where he began to deny him three times and warm himself at the devil's fire. If that was his version of following Jesus, he failed. So again, Jesus, knowing all of those things took place, brings Peter back into reality by saying, follow me, follow me. One of the vows that 
our shepherd's take is this. Do you engage to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as a Christian and as a minister of the gospel, whether personal or relational, private or public, and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before the flock of which God shall make you an overseer? It's a fleshed out and fancy way of saying, will you follow Jesus Christ? And this is what Peter is confronted with. At the end of the road on the beach, it all comes down to this. Will you follow Jesus or not? Will you love Him and obey this command to follow Him or not? Will you follow Jesus no matter where He leads? Will you follow Jesus no matter what anyone and everyone else does? That's what it comes down to. Now John's story ends there and he leaves you kind of with a cliffhanger. You don't know. What is Peter going to do? What is John going to do? What's going to happen? And so in musical terms, it's this unresolved melody. And I can't stand that, so I have to cheat. And here's the fourth thing. The shepherd's crown. Towards the end of his life, when Peter was an old man, shepherding God's flock, he sent these words out to churches that were scattered all over the Middle East. I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We had presbytery this past weekend, and I spoke with various fellow pastors at presbytery, several of whom told me that they often wonder if their ministry is even worth it. Some of them said that after years of bearing the cross and trying to fulfill their duties, live up to their calling, trying to discharge the duties of their ministry, they look back and they feel like there is next to nothing to show for it. To which I said to them, I can totally relate. I can totally relate. Because in the words of that theologian, Nacho Libre, we all want a little taste of the glory. And what this old man Peter tells us is this. Take it from an old, cross-shaped pastor. You will taste the glory.
you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Not in this life. Not in any of your missions, not in any of your churches, not in your ministry. Not in this life. But when the true and better shepherd comes. And so always remember and never forget, the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside still waters. He restores your soul. He leads you in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for He is with you. His rod and His staff comfort you. He prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He anoints your head with oil and your cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray together. Oh God, we pray that we who are shepherds might have a clear conscience and a desire to act honorably in all things. And we ask that the God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, will equip us with everything good that we may truly love Him and do His will and that He will work in us whatever is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.